0: What's up, headbangers? Welcome to another episode of the Talk Louder Podcast, where we geek out on all things rock and roll. Hit that subscribe button on our YouTube channel. Leave us your likes and comments. You can also leave likes and comments on our Facebook page. Follow us on iTunes, Spotify, Instagram at Talk Louder underscore podcast. And of course, our website, talklouderpodcast.com, where you'll find links to our merch and our previous episodes. I'm Metal Dave, along with my co host, Jason McMaster. And today we are joined by one of the founding fathers of the big four. David Ellison from Megadeth fame is with us today on the Talk Louder podcast. He's best known for Megadeth, obviously, but man, he's in a million other projects. And we talk about all of those today. Uh, He just put out a new album with uh, Jeff Scott Soto, who has been on our show. Uh, Vocalist Jeff Scott Soto. That album is under the banner Ellison Soto. Uh, he's it got a. New out,
1: it came out yesterday, which would have been like uh, the eighth or the seventh or something. Yeah, it's October. O-
0: October some just some came something out. It October. just came yeah. out.
1: It's it's now it's October twenty two. So, yeah.
0: Vacation in the Underworld is what it's called. It's Ellison Soto. Um, Rat Pack coming, Records. Rat Pack Records, correct, and um, he's also got a band called Dieth uh, with. Uh, one of the guys from entombed ad and another guy from decapitated Mm
1: -hmm. and
0: they're much more of a european death metal dark metal type flavor if you will uh all good stuff and he also talks a little bit about a project called the lucid uh which is an interesting mix of people uh You've got Dave from Megadeth. You've got uh, one of the guys from Fear Factory, a guy from Bang Tango, and a guy from Sponge. <laughs> Odd it's mix, pretty weird. Yeah, but uh, you know, one thing you'll learn about Ellison is he's a uh, he's a very well-rounded guy. You know him as the the bass player for Megadeth, but uh, he's also got a very melodic ear. Um, I know he's a big fan of Journey and AOR type uh, rock records and he, bands he and likes those. rock and roll
1: you know yeah i can appreciate someone who loves rock and roll you know there's a there's you know now that david ellison is playing you know whatever alt metal with L- the lucid which features the singer from sponge which yeah. is, you got to hear that to really try to ingest and then uh he's playing like you know Polish death metal. Yeah, uh, he's, he's, <laughs> he's playing uh, melodic hard rock. That's yes. not really metal. Maybe power metal sometimes in El yeah. Soto. Um, he's he's everywhere. He's got uh, uh, Kings of Thrash is a tour that he's doing uh, coming up real soon. I think they're 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 doing about five shows across yeah. the U.S. Yeah. And that's doing, uh, you know, some some different – I think it's some different bands, but they're doing uh, Megadeth, Killing Is My Business, and some other gems from Megadeth Catalog, of course. Yeah. And he's got Jeff Young, right? Yes. Chris Poland. Yes. And then he's got a a singer uh, – oh, is it – did he say Chuck Wright? Who's playing bass on it? No, no,
0: it's not Chuck Wright. I'm sorry. I've, the other two guys' names escape me, but the lead vocalist is actually in a Megadeth tribute band, so he kind of knows all the Mustaine quirks and yeah, nuances and, and that he sort mentioned
1: his name, and and I feel terrible that we can't yeah. call it at the moment. Anyway, it doesn't matter. It sounds really cool, actually. Uh, yeah. I'm excited for 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 David to to just be busy, uh, and just t- taking as much on as he can, and um, you know playing bass and writing songs and it's, you know, it's just kind of what, it's just what we do. It's just kind of what he's supposed to be doing right now, apparently. So I know, I know all about being in a bunch of projects and it's fun. (laughs) It keeps you on your toes and keeps your, your axe sharp. So uh, we just have a conversation, David. We just like, we just chill and drink coffee cool. and talk about
2: things. Exactly what we're doing yes. here. Nice. Actually, it's oh, water in the cup, if the truth be told. But, oh, I've got, know, co- yeah. I've got coffee yeah. in coffee. <laughs> I coffeeed up earlier this morning. I'm still a little jet lag getting home from Europe on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. So but I tell you what, man, I get a lot done. It's kind of like why we play music late at night, because like when the world shuts off and the emails and the phone and all the crap, you know, it's it's that it's that witching hour that. We can just kind of zone in. And, and I find the same thing in the morning, maybe not so much musically once in a while, but I can get more business done. Like if I got to sit down and kind of grind through some stuff and focus, and you just don't have 20 things coming at you all the time. So yeah. we're getting ready to do the Kings of Thrash tour this week. So, yeah, let, you know, let's just start, the,
1: let's yeah. talk about that real quick, because you've yep. got a few things that I want to get to.
2: Yeah. Um, the Kings yep. of
1: Thrash, who all's involved in that? And, and what what's the tour? <clears throat> what's the tour? Where, where's the tour headed?
2: OK, so tours is um, we're going to do kind of, you know, as the booking agents call it, the sort of proof of concept, kind of prop it up, you know, take it around a few cities, see what people think about it, see what we think about it. Do we like it? Is it fun? Do we want to do more? All that stuff. So it's, uh, San Diego, uh, Phoenix here, Las Vegas and then playing at the whiskey in, uh, in, uh, Los Angeles. And it's funny because the whiskey is kind of where it started. Um, because that's where Jeff young and I got on stage together for the first time since castle Donington, August 21st, 1988. Where we played that was our last show together. Wow! And then this, so the whiskey this year, 2022. Uh, Chuck Wright, bass player from Quiet Riot, mm-hmm. um, and other things, uh, has the ultimate jam night that he started some years back. And early May, he did a tribute to the Big Four. And so Jeff, uh, Big Four, Metallica, Megadeth, Slayer, Anthrax. Yes. So Jeff yes. called me. Goes, he goes, dude, you want to come out and jam a couple tunes? I said, sure. As long as we play... Obviously, there'll be things that Jeff and I played on, and I want to play a couple of deep cuts that haven't been played. So we played... Uh, I mean, kind of got to play Peace Cells." Um, so that's... Obviously, he didn't play on that on the record, but that... Uh, in My Darkest Hour, which he did play on, and Mary Jane, which has not been played in years, wow. and fans have been asking for it. So that's, you know, essentially where it started. So the band... Is me and Jeff, uh, our special guest Chris Poland coming out on this run, and um, drummer Fred Aching who plays also in the Bullet Boys, and our singer Chaz Leon who ironically sings in the Killer Megadeth tribute band called Woke Up Dead, nice. as well as a Soundgarden tribute band. So he's got pipes, and he, you know, he gets kind of the Mustaineisms, you know, that because he does it as a tribute thing. So it, it's cool because he, you know. He'll do little things like in my darkest hour. I go, dude, that's that's pretty clever that you kind of pick up on those nuances because it's awesome. You know, as a if I was going to see a tribute band, I'd want to see all that stuff, you know. So yeah, course, that's yeah. the band, that's what we're doing, and um we'll see where it goes.
0: I saw I think I read somewhere that uh the Kings of Thrash, you're doing Killing is my business and So Far So Good, So What in their entirety. Is that is that right? Yes,
2: you are okay. exactly right. And so to that, um, so last year I did an appearance at the chiller theater in new jersey which is a big horror uh convention you know like a horror con thing and um i've been wanting to do it for years and i finally <clears throat> got in to do it and um it was you know at this point i was not in megadeth for a few months and they had just gone around and toured the area um so the fans were coming to me bringing me killing is my business records to sign in droves because in 1985 we started the tour there i think hammer jacks in uh, baltimore and then we played a bunch of the stuff up in the area before we came across and hit detroit and cleveland and chicago you know we kind of made our way across the country and so that was with a band called exciter uh, out of canada also on combat at the time combat records i saw
1: that show at the back room
2: Yes, right. So we got to get to that because that was where it kind of wiggled down to you. And, uh, yeah. But so it's interesting, is, you know, and I know because, you know, I've always been the more kind of maybe publicly available member of the band, you know. Um, I mean, I play music because I'm a fan of it. The fact that I've been able to make a living and pay some bills is beautiful too, but I, I do it because I'm a fan of it. I love it. It's, um, it's fun we play <laughs> we play music you know so yeah. so for me you know i'd hear the fans talk and go man can you play some other songs and I'd love to hear killing is my business and i even brought it up today said when, when we did the final remix like kind of the final third you know, second remix of you know so three releases of this record the final kill um <clears throat> excuse me i think it was back in 2017 or so I said, man, we should go out for one night only, go play Killing Is My Business. Like the Metro in Chicago, which is one of the only clubs that's still open probably from that tour. And, you know, it just, I know management was excited. Kika was, you know, we got kind of jacked up about it and it just just kind of fell on deaf ears. It never happened. So to me, I was like, you know, somebody one of us someday somewhere we got to go play this freaking record you know so here i was you know post Megadeth, and i'm like you know what Fuckin', man i'm gonna go do it because is it, it it deserves its props it's one of these records that i think i think probably for me and david it, it was a record that we felt always kind of fell short because since it was so cantankerous with combat records back in those days we didn't have a lot of money it was very very hard times for us we were very broke so it wasn't, it's not a favorite snapshot in the family photo album, if you will, of that time. Right. Um, kind of the, but, weird, uh, it's the
1: weird uncle you kind of, eh, we you have to invite, invite that <laughs> guy to Thanksgiving dinner. You
2: know? Yeah. Right. You know <laughs> what I mean? So it's like, fortunately, somehow, I think the good Lord wired us that painful memories lessen, and somehow the better ones get better with time, you know, like meeting you at the back room in Austin, you know, those kind of things. So, um, but so, yeah, so that that for me, I was just like, I got to do it. So I, I came home and I talked to the local promoter here, Danny Zalisco in Phoenix, and I brought it up. And, and he said, uh, he said, he goes, you know, I had a similar situation with the guys in Credence Clearwater Revival. Fogarty had gone solo, but wasn't playing any CCR tunes. So the guys are home going the hell like now we're basically kind of out of it these are our songs too da-da. so he he came up with the name credence clearwater revisited mm-hmm. and they put that together and they're out playing you know favorite songs and it's our our producer
1: know, our producer was on tour with that <laughs> band teching and uh, run in front of house and shit
2: yeah they did yeah. very well yeah you know, because did. again yeah. these are songs people want to hear and i think at a certain point, look. There's a Megadeth. They're doing their thing. Whatever. You know, um, we're not claiming to be Megadeth. We're not coming out trying to do any of that. You know, we don't have a Vic Rattlehead walking on stage or anything. You know, we're not. We're not a tribute band. We're. We're not even a cover band, uh, even though we're playing song. Well, you know, again, there are songs, so it, sure. it's 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 not that. So, you know, the fact that I think there's three things. First of all, the songs that we you know the whole world can sing. Second of all, there's a really great musical integrity because of what Jeff contributed to So Far is so Good So What, what obviously Chris Poland gave to Killing, um, and then the P. Cells album. And then also, I just think it's kind of cool because there's an alumni brotherhood and friendship, you know? And it's funny to see Chris and Jeff because Chris was let go, Jeff brought in. So, kind of by nature, you're like, fuck that guy, you know, the guy who takes your gig, right? Or gets yeah. your gig. Um, but those two have become dear friends. They're both complete guitar nerds, gear freaks. You know what I mean? So they're like nerding out over this stuff. They're just, and it's fun to just watch everybody be excited about it. You know, Jeff's really thrilled to be back. He, Jeff and I have actually written four new songs. So I think after this, you know, that's where our focus will shift here. You know, for the you know coming months, maybe it's getting focused on on those tunes because we've demoed them and, Um, you know, now we're just getting recorded and I can see Jeff. He's, he's excited. You know, he's, I think both Jeff and Chris after Megadeth, they just forgot how to play Megadeth songs and said, that's over. I'm done. Chris Paulin, after Megadeth, I mean, he, he got himself cleaned up. He jumped in the van and played bass for the circle jerks for a year, you know? Which was funny because he said I, I got, in the of, got in a band of the punk rock band and made more money than I did being on Capitol Records with Megadeth. You know, so, <laughs> yeah. so yeah. You know. On, on a recent
1: so, tour because Circle Jerks just came through Texas.
2: Nah, that was, no, this was in oh, this 1987. Was, oh, this was, this was way back then. Yeah, back yeah the So there might have been there
1: might have been something in a in a fanzine that something's information rushing back. You know, when you're old like me, kind of shit happens. But right. Uh, I think I yeah I think that that someone mentioned that in an old fanzine mid eighties around that
2: time. So. Yeah, you know. know then know. he did his return to Metalopolis, so he kind of you know gave a hint to his mega you know metal megadeth history. But you know Jeff is Jeff, or I'm sorry, Chris is um, you know very much a fusion musician. I mean, when you hear you know it's so funny with him, he picks up a guitar. Sitting there talking like this, and he go, "Wait, check out this new pedal I just got." You know, pick up his guitar and effortlessly like from the heavens like Jeff Beck and Alan Holdsworth channels through this guy and you're just like where does that come from I mean it is a skill and and you can just see music just channels through him and that's what's so fun to watch him play even just me all these years later standing on the other side of the stage just watching him play I'm just I'm a fan of it Um, because it's not just your you know, typical heavy metal shredding. It's 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 a a nature of music that is really outside of you know rock and metal, and to, for that to fit in, um, to you know to I mean, look even with Megadeth when he came in that established the dichotomy between Dave being this kind of Ted Nugent, Jimmy Page, you know Michael Schenker guy, and then the second guitar player was always this very avant garde, very um, kind of um you know very melodic but this kind of smooth sound and yeah you know so those are kind of the fill the shoes jeff had to fill in so far so good so what and you know what i'm what i'm noticing now is i didn't realize how much guitar work jeff did on so far so good so what um for years i kind of thought he played four solos and that was it and he played on like five or six songs solo work he played all the acoustic guitar work like on in my darkest hour um beginning of uh i think maybe the lungs of hell wherever there's wherever there's any acoustic guitar work i think he did all of that so i'm learning how much work he really did on that record um and because he was just there for an album and a a tour and then you know megadeth kind of completely revamped with the whole rest in peace lineup and everything which kind of got all the you know a lot of the glory you know that was a bit of a you know bit of an unsung record in the sort of more mainstream MTV headbanger ball era, you know, when, when, when our genre really hit its stride in the nineties. So I think for this tour, that's the, what's what we're, that's why we're doing it is it's like, let's go back and pull out these classics that fans are asking for, you know, that's why we're playing little 500 seat clubs. You know, we're not trying to go out to be a normal dome and, you know, do this that group deal,
1: but this group of folks that you have, are you guys gonna write and record and make a record? Or,
2: well, yeah, so these four songs that Jeff and I wrote uh earlier this year and we demoed them up. Um, actually, Jeff was just in the studio uh last week with Fred on drums, cutting drum tracks to them because we've got Um, Yeah, because we've got to get drums, you know, and then kind of re-record some stuff to make it a proper master. But, yeah, so we have it there. And plus now with Chaz writing lyrics and singing, um, it's cool to see, to just, you know, not only go on stage and, and, you know, honor the past and, you know, do the the legacy part of it, but to have a creative uh, nucleus. Because you know how hard that can be. You can be with, you know, and it was always like that in Megadeth, you know, because everything kind of came together around, what was already established, which is, you know, the name, the sound, the band, mostly Dave's songs with contributions from the rest of us. So all the musicians were come, came in to be sort of bit players to that sort of protagonist, if you will. Right. Um, and it's still like that. So whenever any of us ever would, I don't know you want to want to play on the side or do something or write or do it never really worked because that wasn't why we were brought together. You know, our oh, yes. chemistry was, that makes, right? sense. Does it make sense? that makes sense. Yeah.
1: Sense, Total sense. Yeah,
2: yeah. So that's why it's at, interesting, at fault.
1: You know. of, at fault of no one.
2: And it just it is what it is. Yeah. You know that's yeah. that's the deal. So um, it's like a plumber, an electrician, and a concrete guy are all great when there's a contractor who says come in and build my house. But on their own, they don't just build a house. You know, oh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's right. nice. so yeah, right. to use a layman's term, if you will.
0: No, that was, but, that was uh, very good. Yeah, uh, you. you so, I, I know you're advertising that you're playing Killing and so far in their entirety. But is it safe to say you're going to sprinkle in some peace Cells tunes as well? Or well, uh, I didn't say it, but yeah, you know. I,
2: I mean, you know, the funny thing is, is I have this list of the songs that I know people want to hear. You know, Ninety Nine Ways to Die, Train of Consequence. You know, there's just a bunch of them. You know, and some of them, you know, fell on. Like I always you know, when I was in the band, I always wanted to play angry again. It's such a great song. And I remember, you yeah. know, i got some resistance because it was on a, you know, an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, a Sony soundtrack, what does it matter? And one day management says, well, because of Spotify and the digital, like it it's, it's one of the top songs that people really like. It's got a nice big, when you're playing big rooms, it's got a, just a good mainstream kind of pogo groove to it, you know? Yeah. So I like feel, 99 feel, ways to
1: die. I feel that way about 99 as well. Totally. 99,
2: talking. go to hell. Uh, you know, there's some of these songs, they fell in these really cool soundtracks, but it was a moment. And, you know, those movies are long gone now for the most part. So, but you know, those songs live on. So sometimes, you know, I'll play them even on a solo show <laughs> but I'll go to hell or something. Cause it starts, you know, with the bass intro and people are like, Whoa, that's awesome. You know? So, you know, it's kind of like how, I also use the analogy a little bit like, you know, Roger Waters is out doing kind of what his interpretation of Pink Floyd is, you know, and um, there is no Pink Floyd now, really, for the most part. They're retired, I think. So you've got an ambassador out there doing that. So that's that's our whole thing. This is about friendship. It's about just community. And, you know, I think, I think filling a little gap, you know, for some fans that are excited to come out and see this, I mean um, – you know so it's it's uh you know we kindly waited until the megadeth five finger death punch tour went through before we you know came out and did this cuz obviously we want people to go see megadeth right they have a new record yeah. go see that support yeah. that that's that's the big thing and you know that's okay that's done now all right, got another paycheck. Come over and check this out. Come over and hear some other songs. Yeah, so it's yeah. it's not meant to be combative or retaliatory in any way. It's just purely a celebration. No, of I wouldn't of have pure even pure I wouldn't life.
1: have even thought that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's an
0: interesting to, point.
1: I feel like yeah, it is uh, because there you know I don't know anyone like that. It's like uh, you know create a create a place for what it is you're doing. Not you know to, why would you want to play even in the same
2: week? Right, exactly. Yeah, because we were thinking about announcing in August, and then, you know, when we got word of the tour. It's like, okay, we definitely want to be behind it Um, because you don't want to be underfoot. You don't want to be causing problems. We're out here to cause problems, you know? And again, and the good news is, as you know, because of BMI and ASCAP, when you play people's songs while they're sleeping, they're getting paid. You know what I mean? That's yeah. the beauty of you know. <laughs> so if someone's out playing a Watchtower or Dangerous Choice song right now, like you're making money, you know. So well,
1: and the the song the songs uh they don't play or sing themselves either. So they don't. Right. <laughs>
2: so you they gotta don't. go
1: out there and do it.
0: I gotta yeah. I wanna play show and tell for just a second since we have Dave with us today. This I bought this in nineteen eighty-five. And uh, I still have it. I bought it probably the week it came out. And I made the unfortunate mistake of leaving it on the dashboard of my car. Oops. And so as you <laughs> can tell, it's warped beyond belief. And at some point somebody used it as a Frisbee and took a chunk out of it there. You could see that.
2: Or they were really hungry and had something to eat. Yeah. Time time. <laughs> or that, could have been that. Could have been that.
0: but I've, I've held on to it for all these years because I just refused to part with it. And so obviously it doesn't play, uh, yeah. but I kept it as a keepsake because it is such a great album. And I'm really glad to hear that you're giving it some overdue love and you're going out on tour and playing these songs. Um and i also am a big fan of the album cover i know the guy i know the 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 band was not necessarily right i always thought that was a great cover but anyway i just because we had you on the show today I I yeah a couple
1: a couple of points Uh, the ah to be young and dumb (laughs) Or yeah. uh, a leave your vinyl mean, on the dashboard. I mean, we didn't, yeah. we didn't like keep all this bullshit behind me and Dave. As it we didn't keep yeah. all this shit. For, I mean, obviously, heavy metals are somewhat hoarders because, oh, this fucking demo from 1982. I can't get rid of this. <laughs> right. yeah, but yeah, but it's all right, on man. YouTube, dude. You just dial it up on your phone
2: whenever you want. Not yeah, but I mean, this is the original. You know that whole right. mentality of. Well, that, even with that record, I can tell as soon as you held it up, I knew that was an original copy. You know, you can see it. I can tell like sort of second pressings and third pressings that they did along the years. Well, the, um, it's got but, the
0: lyric sheet inside and everything. Totally. I mean, so yeah. you know, there's the, the Well, long- and, here, and here's
2: another thing I'll say about, it. about vinyl. Okay. Cause we're older gentlemen. Remember when CDs came along and you didn't, you could leave your CD on the dash of your car and it wouldn't <laughs> help. I mean, yeah. these are the reasons digital, the digital did have its, its upside because cassettes are the same thing. I mean, I, you know, I, maybe not growing up in Minnesota so much wasn't that hot, but L.A. whatever. Certainly out here in Phoenix where I live, oh my god! Oh, hey, by it. the way, before we forget, you know? Happy David Ellison
1: Day.
0: Yeah. Hey, thank
2: you. I appreciate I,
0: it. So, so I you. don't. Yeah. Not to interrupt your story, because I do want you to go back to that. But how the heck does David Ellison Day happen now? This <laughs> Now, this is this stranger is stranger things have happened, Dave. Well, this, is, sure this, is, have. this is great. So you're you're originally from Jackson, Minnesota, correct? Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. OK. Yeah. So and the mayor has proclaimed today or. Uh, yes. It's, it's October
2: 9th. Yeah, it's October. So 9th how birth.
0: does that phone call happen? Tell me how that's come. Well, about.
2: I had a good little team around me. You know, we were doing a lot of stuff. We brought the Ellison coffee company back to Jackson. There was a, there's a, a store on main street. That was kind of a staple. It was kind of the cool new hip coffee store, um, and and the woman was struggling a bit, so I, I I put some money into it. We laid the Ellison Coffee brand over it, hung a bunch of guitars, you know, kind of a hard rock meets coffee shit could meet Starbucks, you know. Yeah. And that was a big deal. We did a big grand opening. It was super cool. Um, you know, the uh, as a result, the Iowa Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which is just over the border. I mean, minutes over the border from Jackson. Uh, in, in Spirit Lake, Iowa, <coughs> Lake Okabogee, they have the Iowa Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And so they inducted me in that. So all these really cool things were happening. And, and um, at the David Allison Youth Music Foundation, we donated some, some instruments and stuff back to my high school where I went. Um, and we had the support of, uh, at the time, the Grammys uh, had, we had won our Grammy, which helped, but they had a, the Grammy Music Education Coalition uh, at the time and they really supported our foundation. So there's just all this great love and synergy. And, um, yeah, so they, you know, they, the mayor was kind of to proclamate that day and, um, which is beautiful and, and, you know, just a wonderful thing. And, you know, it's funny, you guys will appreciate this when I look, somehow it came up October 9th in my book that's the day KISS was given the key to the city, I think, of Pontiac, Michigan in like oh. 1974, oh, wow. 1975. So I was like, dude, awesome. On the same day that KISS that's had a, a cool event, you know? That yeah. is cool. Yeah, right. that's it, dude. So I guess October 9th is the rock and roll day of the year, I No, That's good. Now, now this, yeah. is,
1: this is related, unrelated. I'm, I'm asking my co-host, Metal Dave, Too Many Dave uh, things. Isn't there a Lemmy Day in Austin? Or national It was yeah motorhead
0: or maybe it will on one, one, okay. one or the other it took place during South by Southwest one year and uh, David Sadal is it's was, not was it's school. not annual I don't think it's annual I think I they swear just, it's they an do a one-off thing but yeah they, they they had a Lemmy I don't know if it was Lemmy or the official Motorhead day
1: God bless David Sadal but didn't he have to like go up to the city and, yeah he and fought like, tooth and nail to yeah, make yeah. that
0: happen so wow. uh, kudos to him but yes he got it done and which this all leads me to ask Jason, when are they going to have Jason McMaster Day in Corpus Christi? Has the mayor called you? Totally. You?
1: They, they, get, no, shit, no. They don't even know who I am. May or may not be. <laughs> we true need right.
2: to put a statue of you next to Selena. Because they got like that it's my statue. S- yeah, that's my right? hometown. That's what I'm saying. You need to have your own but bronze statue next to her. They're not.
1: They're doing okay. They gave me a star. On, there's the Texas Music Walk of Fame, and there's a star Dude. down there. I'm 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 nice. next to like Bill Haley and yeah. and people Dude, like that's that. huge.
2: Yeah, that's great.
1: Well, yeah. I was born Dude. down there when there was only one hospital, so. <laughs>
2: And, and you put them at capacity so they had to build them another one now <laughs> I don't know about that but <laughs> I'll take it, I'll
0: take it. Uh, Dave is that is that base in the background is that the one that used to have the dead Kennedy sticker on it is that the light uh,
2: you know it's funny thats so there's two one is the one on the that side is the yeah. a usa custom shop this one here is yeah this is the um It's, it's a, it's a reissue. It's, it's one of my current signature models. And it's a reissue of the very first base I bought from Grover. Uh, when I went out to me and Dave went out there in 1987, uh, story. So go to see Judas priest, uh, on the turbo lover tour or turbo tour, right. In Santa, um, Los Angeles sports arena, downtown me, Dave, Chris Bullitt, (coughs) we go, um docking is opening mm-hmm. jeff Pilson is playing either a jackson or Charvel. has the best bass tone i'm like holy hell this guy sounds good and of course i love ian's playing i love ian's tone so next day or so i go to the sunsets uh, strip guitar center uh, the big one there and i'm looking for a jackson i see one on the wall i pull it down i plug it into a galleon kruger 800 rb head and into a stack of Harkies, I think maybe a 410 and a single 15, those at that time were pretty cutting edge because they were aluminum code speakers. I plug in, start playing. A tone is born. I mean, it was just one of those magical moments. And so uh, Dave and I drive out to, I believe, Millican Avenue way out past East LA um, to the Grover, when Grover Jackson still owned Jackson. And I had him, Dave, Dave took a King Bee, which was Robin Crosby uh, from RAT, right? So they, cool. they call him the King. Yeah, so Dave turned his into a 24th RAT. That became a go-to for him for years. And then I had, you know, this basically a version of this. Now, this, it's interesting because Mike Shannon, who is one of the custom luthiers there and now has a custom shop here in Scottsdale because Fender, who owns Jackson, is based here literally 10 minutes up the road from me in Scottsdale. Um, but he had the specs and we were even looking at old pictures from the P cells tour Cause that was the first time I played this bass. I took it out on the, on the, kind of the last half of the P cells tour. And we were looking to make sure the knobs were right. You know, we've upgraded the bridge, I guess a little bit. We put EMGs in it, um, instead of, uh, a Jackson pickup. Cause I think at the time Jackson, now they have some, some, you know, pickups, but they, they really didn't have a pickup line at that time. Um, but other than that, I mean, you know, neck through the whole thing. So, um, it has a place for a dead Kennedy sticker. If you do have one, uh, we could, <laughs> cause it had the fuck the PMRC dead Kennedy's in like a skull you yeah. know something it was just you like you what i love is it, it
1: is it you know. that's what that's what dave metal dave here that's what he was excited about <laughs> oh wait that's the bass that used to have the dead kennedy sticker <laughs> well, on cuz i remember i
0: remember seeing photos of dave in 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 all the old music magazines and i thought it was rad that he had this dead kennedy sticker uh, cuz this right. was back when the punks and the metal heads were just starting to become friendly with each other and you'd see you know, a, a dead Kennedy sticker on, on the bass player from Megadeth's bass. It really made an impact on me. It stood out, but wow. I thought this was interesting what you just said. Uh, Cause I was going to say also that I, maybe it's just me, but I don't see a lot of bass players playing the Jackson bases. And so mm-hmm. you're, you're saying that uh, we owe this to Jeff Pills.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, oh, totally. Oh, Jeff gets all the credit, man. And, I, and I, I told him that story too. He just laughed and, um but it's dude dude jeff is a great bass player he's an amazing oh, fun, songwriter yeah. and singer oh, right i mean dude the rock star movie right it's killer yeah. um he's a great player cool guy so um yeah he isn't that funny that uh and that's funny out of all those bands i love docking you know i love docking i love rat um molly of course but uh you know docking there was something kind of special about them and then jeff was a big part of that sound vocally and everything so um you know so for me yeah i'm you know when i came back to megadeth in 2010 uh right away my friend brian mcdonald who was doing artist relations there big megadeth fan and he literally five minutes after the press release went out he texts me he goes now can we finally make that jackson bass for you because he had been talking to me about doing it for years Uh. and i said yeah let's do it so he brought me back into the fold nick bocott from Grim Reaper, yep. see you in hell, my friend. Fame. Mm-hmm. I uh, was also working artist relations at the time for Jackson, and, and he's the one who said, He goes, in his British accent, he goes, Jackson needs a face, an ambassador, and David Ellison is that face, you know. So that that really kind of <laughs> set the marching orders of it. And, you know, the last 10, 11 years now, we've developed, got at one point, I think I had something like 12 skews of of bases and I still have them all you know between that one I did a 30th anniversary uh, I don't have it here I shipped it off already to California for the tour but uh, the five string it was the first five string that I developed with Jackson so I could play the song hanger 18 on the peaceells tour on the on the rest of peace tour wow um, so that's now in production they're 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 kind of brother and you know brother and brother those two but um, yeah, there's you know we've we've developed a ton of bases. We've we've sold a bunch of bases. I I, I like to think we've had, you know, one of the better, more successful signature baselines of of not just a base, but like a family of instruments for you know rock. We even did like kind of a more traditional kind of Fender P bass style, kind of a hybrid that like one, I think a Nam a couple of years ago when we rolled it out. One like. You know, best new base of Nam Show and stuff. Yeah. So I mean, wow. yeah, it's yeah, you it's know, been a fun journey. Congrats! Yeah, uh,
1: I've you know I've never uh, had the chance to actually tell you to your face uh, uh, this little bit. Your tone is amazing, but your playing is also amazing. You, Thank you also have this. You play. I play. I play bass with a pick. You play bass with a pick. Jason Newstead is another one of my sort of guys that I love his fucking bass playing. And it's not just because, yeah. oh, we all play with a pick. You know, Chris yeah. Squire, Paul McCartney, Gene Simmons, Lemmy. You go on. There's all these bad, you know, uh, Yeah. a butler can do both. You know, it, it's all important right. to for people to realize that this isn't always what the bass means. No, not at all. Tonally, aesthetically. <laughs> Even air bass, no one right. no one plays air bass. I play air bass. You know, yeah, it's, right. it's important to see the perspective of a, of a nerdy fan like well, it is. Shit, all of us, <laughs> all three of us in here. But but there there's something about your playing that uh, that I've always appreciated, and it's it's not I wouldn't say lead bass, but you're you're writing some riffs. Jason Newstead is writing yeah. some fucking riffs, and it's important. Right. Uh, to know that that's not always the bass player's job, is to write a riff. It's usually right. the bass player's job to stab cymbal chokes. And, you know, once the song gets engaged, you're playing roots and maybe playing threes and fives with it. That's a bass player. Right. So, when, no,
2: yeah. yeah, when you
1: think about that process, uh, once again, I'm leading back right back to the same place. Your bass playing is appreciated.
2: Thank you. I appreciate that. I've never
1: been able to tell you that. It's not a kiss-ass because obviously no, I'm, throwing, I'm throwing about five or six other people in there to to yeah, literally no, let our listeners understand that it's, that it's coming from somewhere. And and I know you're a fan of all of those players as well.
2: 100%. 100%. Yeah. Um, in fact, I remember when we used to come out here, on um, The Killing Is My Business, and then I guess maybe the first time on the PSL store, we played twice – at a little club here called the Mason Jar, which was like oh, yeah. the place. It was kind oh, yeah. of like the back room in Austin, right? It was mm-hmm. that was that place. And might have even, if this opened, is
1: possible, it may have even been dirtier than the back room.
2: Yeah, oh, for sure it was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For sure it was. And I remember uh, you know, Watson would open for us. Jason was and that's when I could tell he was a real leader, you know. Like Jason, that's why I knew when he joined Metallic, and you know, now he's not the boss. He's you know, he's kind of the new guy. And I think he got hazed a lot and, you know, It's got they've talked about it a lot now, you know, about just that sort of initiation into the big boy club, but, you know, it, fundamentally Jason is a, um, you know, yeah, great player, writer. Um, and, you know, that's why I can understand his need to have some other creative outlets at a certain point. And that, that's a tough thing because when you're at U2, ACDC Metallica, you know, the biggest bands in the land, right. I mean, really the biggest you know, it's hard. Jason, I remember Jason had a great quote. He said, we're like a fist and a fist packs a bigger punch with four fingers. than if it's one finger, I won't do that one on its own. Right. (laughs) So, and I thought that was a great analogy because, Mm -hmm. you know, four individuals coming together, you know, it packs a freaking punch. And, Mm -hmm. and, and yet, you know, after you're in a band and I went through it, you know, being in Megadeth for decades and, you know, you, you, you know, and, and every band has a, has a, there's a role. I was talking to Charlie Benante from Antrax about this one time, because he said, he goes, you know, when a band, every bands have roles and the members have to play that role. And if they can't, they might have to be removed and get someone else in who can play that role. And yet at the same time, some groups are very collaborative. Usually as you know, it's it's one or two people that kind of do most of the collaborating and writing and um, the others are bit, bit participants if at all. Um, and, uh, it's why, you know, you see Judas Priest on your shirt there, you know, Ian seems to be comfortable as a guy not writing. And, uh, as I've read KK's book and getting to know him and, uh, Glenn Tipton has even talked about it in interviews, you know, it was always an open door for him to write apparently, but he just didn't write or didn't bring anything to it. Or maybe, maybe he doesn't write that kind of music. Maybe he's a jazz musician. Who knows, you know? So, uh, You know, it's, it's, but yet, you know, what you got to have the Judas Priest sound. So whoever's writing that, you know, as we know from the years, it was usually Glenn, KK and Rob, those three got most of the credits on the records. And and so, you know, that's the sound and whoever writes that, that's who needs to be bringing that. And, you know, Ron Lafitte, obviously, who managed us back in the nineties. And I remember we were talking about as well as Armored Saint, as well as Armored Saint. Yep. Mm -hmm. And he, you know, Ron was a great, that was, those were really our, our big upswing years, you know, rest in peace, countdown, euthanasia. <clears throat> and he, Ron is a real student of the music industry. He loves, He's born and raised in LA. So he loves the Lakers, the coach, Pat Riley was his hero. He'd read his books. He'd study strategy from him. And he used a lot of Pat Riley's methodology in, in managing Megadeth and, um, You know, he loved with the Rust and Peace lineup that now (laughs) we were a new nucleus, a lot of creativity that could happen, excuse me, between us. And it developed over a few records, of course, in the 90s. Um, And, you know, there were always these, you know, the publishing conversations were never fun or easy in that band. You know what I mean? Because, Because. of, of just, you know, kind of the, 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 lay of the land. And, and it, it was, it was, it was good at times. And, and I think our bigger successes with that lineup for sure were the more, you know, collaborative things because people, we know with rock groups, it isn't just, uh, the song it's, it's the culture. It's like, I want to see those guys, you know, honestly, those four cheap trick guys, those five Judas the guy, you know, those four Megadeth guys, and it's important that they, you know, because you kind of get your own fans too within that, right? That and they they want to see you be part of it. They want to hear you be part of it. Um, I didn't know Ace Fraley didn't play at some of those solos on Destroyer or, or whatever records it was. Side four of Kiss Alive, 2. Yeah. Uh, apparently, you know, Bob Kulik, Bruce's brother, played on a lot of that stuff. Um, and Rick, but Rick I
1: Derringer and uh, Rick Derringer, yeah, Rick Wagner, and,
2: yep. And, yep. and i think those were maybe for other reasons and who knows as bands yeah. grow all kinds of things happen but um you know for the most part you know we never had that in our group but it's it's you know people want to 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 hear that and and, and feel that so i think there's always an open door for you know i remember even at one point i think we had something say, like, hey we're going to take one song and just split it four ways between everybody because You know, who knows who's on the creative pulse at that particular time? And, of course, in Megadeth, you know, the pressure was on Dave. He was the Tom Brady. He was, you know, he had to write, you know, the the bulk of it, and and it was his sort of voice that needed to be heard in those songs. Even if I wrote something, I knew when I brought it to the door, it was going to now go through that machine, go through Dave's hands and fingers, the influence of the other members. So it sounded like Megadeth, you know? Had
1: to fit his voice, yeah.
2: Hundred percent, And that was one of the things writing lyrics, you know, with him, for him is, um, you know, is writing stuff that I knew he could stand up on stage and sing. He could sing it comfortably, confidently. It was believable. You know what I mean? And, and I think that got harder over the years. Maybe earlier on, it was a little uh, easier because, just maybe because we were sort of developing. Um, I, I go back to like foreclosure of a dream and breakpoint and some stuff we wrote during like the countdown era when we were that very collaborative record and we wrote a lot of that while we were on the clash of the titans tour in 1991 we knew we had to get home and cut the next record and this and that lafitte said he goes this one really needs to step up i mean we gotta really knock it out of the park you know the metallica black album was out queen's empire was huge on mtv uh little did we know nirvana in seattle was hot on our tails and they'd be the next thing so you know, Ron, Ron was his instincts were correct. And, you know, he I remember one day, you know, we were talking about the writing and stuff. And and he just said, he goes, you know, he goes, for the most part, Dave is bringing in the highest quality material faster than everybody else, which is why we default and defer to that material. And and the stuff he's writing was great, of course, you know, sweating bullets, you know, some beauty destruction. So, um, you know, you, yeah, you, you lead with really- your strength. Can't right? shake a yeah. stick
1: at those two songs right there.
2: Right. And those were just very intuitive and kind of, I mean, I just watched them just sort of fall out. We'd, wow. you know, we'd rehearse, we'd take a break, we'd go outside, we'd shoot basketball, we'd shoot hoops, we'd come back in, pour a coffee. David pick up his guitar, start chugging a riff. Um, and at the I same think- time, those were days that were, you know, like I remember when Symphony started, you know, it was it was it was the you know, it was the you know, just Yeah. Right. That's what it was. And then Nick it's comes bass. into the uh boop So I start kind of playing Dave's part, right? And then I go, well, what would Ian Hill do? He'd ride. Yeah. Right. right? He'd ride. Yeah. yeah. Right. And then now you now you got a baseline, right? Because there's a guitar yeah. riff, the drum part. So you know, in, in a lot of ways, and this, you know, you've been in enough bands, you know. You know, who wrote the song? Well, certainly Dave came up with the riff and those transitions and stuff. I mean, but even like the chorus where, you know, the, 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 it's a descending chorus. Right? So I, I did, I kind of copped what I felt Jason Newstead would do, if I can be honest about it. Oh. Uh, kind of from Inner Sandman he would probably walk up from the bottom. So da, 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 da So as the guitar is going down, I'm coming up, we meet in the middle, da, 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 right? We pick up that mm-hmm. little tag of the riff and then we start all over Meet in the middle. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, so those are the days, you know, and, and, and it's hard because I think truthfully there, those were more group collaborations you know, then probably we're credited for, but it is what it is. And at some point, you know, is this the hill you want to die on fighting over this? We're ready to go make the biggest record of our lives. And at some point I think people fold their hand and, you know, all right, well, fuck it. This is what it is. But, um, but you know, that's, and that's not to take anything away from anybody who did that. I mean, obviously Dave was quarterbacking that stuff. He was his melodies, his thought, you know, and the lyrics and stuff. Um, so, you know, That's a big part of bands, as you know, too, is it isn't just the word, the note. It's about how it all comes together. You're a lead singer, Jason. You know, when you're fronting the band, you essentially are the spokesperson for everyone behind you. As great as your drummer is, as killer as your lead guitar player is, you know, when the singer starts singing... Kind of all eyes go there, you know, so well, you were
1: you were there and you you were soaking up what was in the room and you were contributing as it filtered through your uh, your Ellison brain. So you know, totally. It's, yeah, and uh, thanks. Hey, let's move to uh, well,
0: the. I want to ask something ahead, real yeah. on on the subject, yeah. and then we'll move on to some new stuff. Um, yeah. I, I wanted David to clarify something for me, and you've probably you're probably sick of this uh, question, but the baseline, the intro to P. Cells, one of maybe mm-hmm. the most iconic bass intro in all of heavy metal history. Um, I've heard mixed reports that either that you came up with it or Mustaine came up with it. And I was just wondering if you could set the record straight for
2: sure. it. Sure. No, no, Dave came up with it. He, it's funny. We're living, we were crashing essentially at our producer from the killing record, Carrot Faye mm-hmm. up in his house, up in uh, Laurel Canyon. And apparently he didn't pay the electric bill. So the electricity was turned off. So I think he put a, an extension cord to sponge electricity off the neighbors who were living with candles, right? Wow. And it was, yeah, it was dark days, no pun intended. And um, I had this Eagle, BC Rich Eagle bass that I had ripped the frets out of and it became fretless. And Dave was just sitting there noodling playing one day before we we're going to go to rehearsal. And, you know, he's kind of coming up with that that line and he says, hey, Junior, come here, You're play this, you know, and, and and, you know, working it out. And we go to rehearsal. We get in the room because me and Dave used. It was always in my van. I drove. He rode shotgun. Drove up to Pasadena to pick up Gar. Went down to uh, just past downtown L.A. Actually, a town called Vernon, down past kind of like the meatpacking district, right? Um, Old brewery there. I think it was probably like the Francisco, which kind of became a brand. I think the Francisco uh, um, rehearsal facilities. they'd find these old breweries and they'd sort of gut them and turn them into, you know, soundproof. them. I
1: I think I've been there. That place is crazy.
2: You know, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I figured you would know. So uh, we go in and we start playing the song and, um, you know, again, kind of like symphony. It was, it was, you know, Dave had the pieces, we put it together. Um, we worked on the arrangement together. Um, and uh, literally in two hours, that song was done. And, um, and um you know it's just one of those in fact at the end <laughs> i remember we were playing i don't know if it was that night or if it was a couple nights later where you know we got the chorus p cells," but it was fun and me of course being a van halen fan whenever i sing backups i immediately go to that michael anthony high you know third fourth or fifth you know p sells, but he cells," with peace cells," but who's buying you know so like you know to add that little harmony thing on there and all of a sudden it's like, Whoa! Junior can sing and wow, it's really melodic. And it's like, that's like a real chorus now and it builds. And so, you know, so we knew as we, you know, we then went out um, and, you know, Andy Summers, I'm sure booking agent, you know, who was our agent at the time. He sent us out on a little three week trip, January, February, early 86. And, um, and uh, we, we played every song we had, all of killing all of the potential new songs for P cells and, and, you know, essentially that became our pre-production for the p Cell Zone. We came home, Combat Records came to us and said, all right, we gave you eight grand for the first record. You did well, you sold some records, we'll give you 24 grand for the next record. So we were sitting at Cantor's on, you know, the Cantor's Deli down there on Fairfax in uh, Hollywood having, the, having the, the meeting with the label eating pastrami sandwiches, you know, and just going, wow, 24 grand. That's huge. And, you know, then, so we made the record for combat but then capital came in and bought out the contract and actually released it. So,
0: so, so he he wrote, he wrote the riff, but you performed it on the album. Is that right? Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah, And and I, I always kind of just thought of it as a guitar part, like, Hey, here's a guitar part. Hey, quick play this on bass. You know, that would happen a lot sometimes, He'd come up with a part of guitar would say, Hey Junior, come here, play this part, you know, and I would I would play it. Um, and you know, in the same way I've come up with parts on various piano and stuff. And you know, you move it over to you know, like family tree on uh, euthanasia I wrote on my piano. That da 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 da, da 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 that whole thing, you know, and then you move it over to guitar, and it's like it's oh, a cool guitar riff. So, you know, that little moment became Either either a good bass riff or a good guitar riff. I'm not sure, but you know the fact that it got used. Uh, in fact, so we we cells We we finally get a little money from capital. We get an apartment in Silver Lake, east just east of, of Hollywood, and uh, me and Dave and Chris Pollen lived there. And I remember because we had a, a like a Bow flex. Remember that Solo Flex? Remember those things? Yeah. It was like a rubber band workout. So yeah. it's sitting there by the kitchen, kind of this big open room. We always had MTV on, in the background, on the TV. Chris is next to me doing the dishes, right? And it's an afternoon, and all of a sudden, they say MTV News. You heard it here, or you heard it first, right? Yeah. And Chris stops and goes, dude, was that our song? And I was like, I don't know. I didn't hear it, you know? And that was the first talking, time talking a, we were so- aware. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and you know, the funny thing is, people like yourself, oh, my God, the song is huge, and that riff, and oh, my God. But the reality of it is, is I, I missed the whole thing because we were on tour most of the time. So I wasn't even aware of it. <laughs> um, so people tell me that all the time, like how it was just constant. I was just like, well, oh, it, was,
0: know, it was it uh, was constant. Well, the, two, I mean... the two riffs
2: that
1: you, that, that uh, people like us, uh, older gents of a certain age, when you think like, those little snippets like that, those those sound bites of M T V, the transitions between ads into one of their show their shows or whatever. Yeah. It's the SOD, or yeah, it's fucking yeah. P Cells. And it's like yeah. great company. Yeah. Yeah. For, known, for sure. Hey, let's well, talk about to- El- let's talk about Ellison Soto. Sorry, yeah, move forward, please. move to newer times. Look yeah, at that. Copy. You, You're right. Boom. they had a new
2: copy right here. I literally just got it from Radpack. Pack. So You had uh, it yeah. ready.
0: You had it ready. Right. You mean this one? No, I yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Soto album. Um it's uh what's the title Vacation in the Underworld or something? Vacation in the Underworld. Yeah. Yes. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Dave, you got it right. I didn't even have yeah, time think- to get my notes. <laughs> <laughs> we went right from John Bush to David Ellison. So yeah. Tell us about uh the Ellison Soto album and how you and uh Jeff uh came to work together.
2: So obviously known Jeff for years, probably like maybe you guys. My first exposure to him was when he was in Rising Force with Ingbe, you know. Um, just killer, right? Um So uh, I know he sings in Trans-Siberian Orchestra with my buddy Al Petrelli. So I go out and see them every year and they come through. So that's how we became friends. And um, There's a a song that I had called Writing on the Wall that I'd written on bass. And again, one of these kind of like a piece cells that sort of wrote itself in an hour, the lyrics, another hour. And I could never find a home for it. In fact, they even brought it in when me and Frank Bello were doing Altitudes and Attitude. And he said, sounds good. Why don't you sing it? And I'm like, Oh, that's the problem. I'm not the voice for it. I just knew I demoed the voice and it was fine, but I could tell to put it out commercially, it needed a different kind of tone about it. Right. So, um, Andy Martin jelly, who's the guitar player in the Ellison solo band, basically my solo band band is based in Verona, Italy, right? Andy, uh, my drummer, Paulo, and other guitar player Valerio. So Andy, I mean, really this record should say Ellison Soto Martin jelly, because Andy, He's very much the, the you know, the, the sort of the feisty power. He's all the guitar work. Uh, the three of us were the writers on the record. Um, and he said, he goes, dude, call Jeff. Just call Jeff Scott Soto and have him sing on that. So I sent it over to him. And within an hour, he bounced the track back. And I was like, whoa. I said, that's fucking perfect with harmonies, all the nuances. And I was like, yeah, real, this guy's a professional singer, <laughs> you know, and everybody's got home studios, as we know. So I just said, "Hey man, me and Andy are writing some more stuff. Can we? I send you another one, and I did. And how about another one? And I mean, that's literally how this album happens. Is kind of, and we, we were excited, we kept, yeah. you know, it's just. And then one of the things Jeff said, he goes, he'd send something back, and I could tell he was kind of, well, you know, I, I think it's pretty good. We're like, dude, it's freaking killer, man. And he's like, wow, like this is easy. You guys like everything I do. And it's like, well, look, we're sending it to you." because you're just got soda like like we you know whatever you do we're gonna like pretty much because we love your voice we just like how your your approach is i mean if something's glaringly off obviously we'd say so but nothing was and and again it's one of those meeting of the minds of a band of a creative moment where you're just like wow this just fell out of the sky and next thing you know we had geez i think 15 songs that's uh um, we
1: just had him on the show and that's pretty much in his words, of course, the, the exact story about how it just kind of like happened, you know, one exactly. became 15 in just a yeah. matter of, well, we can't, we can't ignore <clears throat> this. So we got to put it out.
2: Yep. Exactly. And we did, we did a cover of swords and tequila, uh, yeah. kind of while we were doing it. And I said, I'm going to push this out. And Jeff even said, he goes, yeah, do it, man. It's kind of tips, tips the hand a little bit that we're up to something. Eddie Trunk, of course, loved it. He likes that. So he gave it a nice voice for us out into the, you know, the world. And um, behind the scenes, we're finishing the album up. And then I called uh, Joe at Rat Pack, uh, who owns Rat Pack Records. And he and I have been buddies. And we've been threatening to do something together over the years. And finally, this moment happened. I sent him the record. And he hit me right back. And he goes, dude, this is is really good. And I mean, he goes, how much money you want? And, you know, knowing what it is. And I mean, literally, I was driving down Shea Boulevard here. we worked the deal out in probably two stoplights you know the deal was done and yeah. it was like great it's putting album <laughs> out so good well
1: that's that's the good that's the good thing about being old school and him knowing what you kind of need and you kind of knowing right. what he need that that's the good part about being the elder statesman here that we that we are now you can kind of it's not about working on this huge monumental record deal because you know, you're going to be on this label for a seven album. It's not. No, it's right. like, hey, man, let's do this. Cool. that It'll be fun. Right, we'll do some shows. Blah, blah, blah. Till the next right. episode. And that's kind of where we all are, isn't it? It just seems it's to exactly be what exactly what you've always got something, something going on. Uh, and I, I I think that it's 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 really cool i enjoyed working with you on the and stuff that came together i mean we were kind of stuck in this this uh the pandemic and the lockdown and i i think a lot of people know the story about well we can't tour or we can't do this and we can't do that but god damn it we can record some shit right now and yeah. we can put it out and uh and that was fun too
2: yeah, uh, that's exactly what it was. And it, and you and you're right, because when the world shut down because of COVID by what March 2020, yes, it hit our industry the first, probably the hardest. And everybody was suddenly home, unemployed. And if you were a, a musician in a band, you didn't have an income. If you were the owner of a band, you went, Oh shit, I've got salaries, band, crew, gear, contracts, like what is when and is this ever. know and that was such a scary moment it was almost like 9 11 or one of these moments when the world just stops and you don't really even correct you're trying to comprehend what has just happened and you don't even know if there's a future you go is this the end of the world is this the plague is this the end of humanity like the dinosaurs like what are we doing and you're right by june when we said you know let's let's make let's do some covers and I mean, literally, again, you know, within a phone call, like half of that record was kind of already conceived, and we started calling people up, and obviously reached out to you, and and because of home studios, everybody could do it, and and yeah. then I had Charlie Bedante on some stuff, Al Jorgensen, I was, you know, got him to contribute, and he's become a dear friend. Then I ended up writing and playing on on his new his latest ministry awesome. record, which is cool. So yeah, you um, had uh,
1: you had uh, some of my buddies on there. You had uh, Dave McLean. You had. Uh, yeah. You, well, he, he's not my buddy. I I feel like I I want to be as Dave Lombardo. Uh yes. You know, we made some videos, and you know, uh, Tom Hazer was a, a great contributor. And uh, you know, we we know that 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 you know, Allison's not on the on the table right now. But you're busy enough as it is. You're busy as fuck. Yeah. Let's talk about your shirt, diet. Yeah. We've got this other thing, and I don't want to forget the lucid as well with yes. my, my buddy Mike. Definitely talk about that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell us about you. Pick you. You go. So I'm gonna. Yeah. So we'll put another, diet, put another honestly, battery in you and spin, spin you around. Yeah. Here you go.
2: Maybe like you, I have a pile of black shirts, and I said, "What shirt should I wear for the podcast?" They <laughs> said, "Whatever the next black shirt that that cycles to the top." It happened to be this one. So probably because I just came home and emptied my suitcase from sure. Europe. So. here it is but um shameless plug for love it yeah so these so die so i was introduced to um these guys through opus who plays drums and dead by wednesday hits me i guess earlier this year maybe january said hey meet galer uh he was in entombed ad uh his singer lars just died from cancer you know kind of what is he you know kind of wrote a new song thinking about rebooting drummer mihal um who is also
1: i'm sorry to interrupt these guys are in Poland.
2: Yeah. Uh, okay. Gu- Guilherme, uh, he actually is, he's b- from Brazil, uh, lives in Lisbon, Portugal, but also oh. does a lot of work over in Poland. Right. Okay. So uh, Gdansk, Poland, Michal, the drummer who was in Decapitated, uh, he's from Gdansk as well, which is a town up in Northern Poland. In fact, the Germans call Gdansk um, Danzig. Like that's like I guess the German word for the town. So bitchin' okay. wow. little town, like cool. I've been to you know some of the cities, of course, in Poland. Not that one. It is super hip, very very cool. I mean, as I got in the water, then the the, the little taxis come over from Sweden. I mean, that's how close uh-huh. it is to that whole little area up there. So um, a little cold. Not gonna lie, that's a little chilly <laughs> up there. But uh, um, so they sent me the track. I said sure. Plugged in, played bass to it. Um, very. Clever, very charismatic. Uh, Glarmé, the writer, the singer, uh, guitar player. Um, and, you know, y- you would get this. You know, when you play with guys like I had, obviously at Megadeth for many years, there's a certain, you can, you know, me and Dave can almost finish each other's sentences or, of like where a riff or a thing's going to go, right? You know, now you play with some new guys. <clears throat> um, new sound, new fingerings, new tunings it's a new world. Right. And, and I did that with F5, even, you know, back in the two thousands, it's like, these guys were younger than me. They were doing the drop C sharp drop D tuning thing. And, and, and so all of a sudden I was like, man, I've been old school. I've been in a you know, iron maiden tuning my whole career now getting hip to like how younger people are hearing and, and creating music often inspired by the likes of Megadeth and dangerous toys and watch star, you know, and Metallica you taking that inspiration and doing something new with it. So I've been through this process before. Um, and it's good to squeeze your brain into a different place. And so that's, that, that was where this started. Um, I went to Europe in April. Um, and, and I, I called May when I got there and I said, Hey man, we're talking about doing a video for this song, uh, in the hall of the hanging serpent and serpents. And, um, I said, you know, we're, we're kind of post COVID we're done doing these bedroom playthrough videos and the four square iPhone zoom thing. Right. So I said, well, why don't I just fly over there, you know, to, to Gdansk and let's, let's do it. And man, he put the whole thing together. He called the guy, it was done. And he is a man on a mission and, and he's got great leadership skills. He's got good instincts into this kind of music, this, the, the death metal stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I realized, you know, death metal is t- to today's young, you know, heavy metal fan what thrash was back in the 80s, in the 80s when we were doing thrash. And I, so it's exciting to be, you know, because thrash melds well with it but, it, but it's not the same style. But it, it's cool to kind of be reinvented into a new, very hip current style of of music. And um so we we uh continued writing and then I just when I came home from Europe we were in Germany, south of Frankfurt, a little town called Seeheim up in the hills. Uh, producer Christian cole who does like Power Wolf and Aborted and lot of these kind of you know those those type of bands. He um came on board to finish the record, produce it. He's gonna mix it here shortly. And we signed a deal with Napalm and you know on it goes. So um, yeah it's really cool so between Ellis and Soto which is kind of like a good straight up power metal mainstream metal uh, this certainly being European death metal and it's cool to be in Europe making a record with European guys who don't have the influence we had or you know they didn't have you know kiss FM and san antonio or knac and they didn't do the radio rock thing they you know they don't it's a dole they just think about the whole thing so different they've grown up with the integrity of the festivals um their influences come from deeper roots you know real religious hardships you know between you know and in their world real political hardships yes um you know, and and you know, you realize some of their political hardships is with the country next door, which would be like me being in Arizona having a war with New Mexico, you know what I mean? Like that's how close right. they're you know, that border is, you know, where shit's going down. And and so we take it for granted, the United States is this big land and we all get along, we move around. And so to you know, there's just there's so much history there that I love it. Um and that definitely comes into the music. It, you hear it through the music. Um, and so I, it, it's it's fun to adapt my, kind of leave America behind, you know, and go, all right, I'm going to really try to sort of become a native in a foreign land for the weeks and days that I'm there working on this stuff with them. So it's a cool experience.
1: Stylistically fit what you, you know, bring to the table what you feel like the material needs, but still be – david
0: yeah yeah i gotta say that i think in the halls of the hanging serpent is one of the most metal titles i've ever heard (laughs) (laughs) i I read that on the page and i thought oh my god i don't think i've read anything heavier sounding than that that is just rad that sounds yeah thank you i appreciate yeah and
2: it and it's 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 heartfelt man and it's you're right it's one of these moments where You know, and these guys are real dudes. I mean, these are, you know, in tune, decapitated. I mean, these are the real guys in that world. And same with Christian, the producer. I mean, he, you know, um, yeah, was able to take great melodic sensibilities. I'm singing lead on the record. Um, I mean, glarme is the singer, but it's interesting because, you know, being Brazilian, and it it really hits me because it's just like Max Cattellera. The Brazilian Portuguese, which Glarme grew up speaking, that translates so well into that death metal voice. I agree. I mean, there's something about how they roll the, the vowels and the words that it just, man, it comes across with a menace that other other languages don't translate, like their other tongue, I should say, whatever that is, yeah. that embouchure of your mouth of how you pronounce those words. It's super freaking cool, man.
1: Yeah, cool. I think that it's the way that they, when they speak or sing English,
2: Mm-hmm. Their, it's the
1: jaw, it's the, the vowel shape because of yeah. their their uh, first language yeah. that comes through that makes it fucking metal.
2: Yeah, yeah. 100%. I mean, yeah. I really, again, haven't worked with Max on a couple of fi records and touring with him and, you know, being there. And then and now with Galera, I'm like, fuck, dude, this is, it's, it's familiar because mm-hmm. of the Max thing. Yeah. So it's it's comfortable, but obviously Glare May, he's again, you know, and again, growing up with Dave, you know, he had good instincts with Megadeth. And I always trusted and referred to his instincts on on what their kind of right or wrong move was to make. And um, you know, his instincts were usually pretty right, you know. And and so it's the same thing with this group is I, I trust him. You know, he's when he's got a vision of something, and we all contribute, we all collaborate. I got a few you know, things I brought in that they really liked. Um So it's nice that it's it's a group record for sure, but I I defer to him as kind of the leader de facto because again, you know, the guy that has the instinct, I always go with that guy, you know. Um, And you know, you look, you've been that guy in your bands, you know.
0: Um, Are we going to get any tours out of Dieth or Ellison Soto? Dieth
2: for sure. Uh, The record we're probably looking at June next year twenty three. So we already we just have an agent that came on board. We've got uh we've got dates already starting to come on the books. So yeah, for sure. And that'll be really that'll be Europe, probably South America. You know, America's hard, man. I mean, you know, again, we're doing this Kings of Thrash thing this next week and everything you do, you start from scratch. (laughs) You know what I mean? So um, you know, the uh, we're doing West Coast dates, which are tough because the distances you have to be on a bus or something. So you know i guess if you live in new jersey you can probably play like 15 shows and about a you know a car drive an hour away right yeah. well it's like um, te- it's
1: like texas you could texas. stay on tour in texas for a week
2: yeah, yeah right. totally no 100%. houston dallas corpus christi austin
1: you know el paso, el paso. fucking
2: far you know yeah. but yeah, that's a two-day yeah. drive yeah it's right another time you know, and every, zone. every day you're on the road you're spending money and you know you're yeah. trying to earn money and stuff so you know there's all that stuff that comes in but yeah. I think just think stylistically, musically, this connects so well over there. You know, again, you don't have to go, oh, it's the single for radio. You don't do any of that shit, man. It's fucking heavy metal. It's, it's, it's hard and heavy. And, and so it's, it's just great to do that. It's, Ellis it's and good. Soto, yeah. we, we launched, we actually launched, um, Jeff, was, Jeff was playing a show in Armenia for um uh with sons of apollo and as i understand it was like a stephen hawking's like a smart people convention that wow. they gave brian may an award for it was oh yeah that's right that's right like yeah. smart people like brian may and um and uh so i said dude i gotta come over anyway work on the Dieth record i said we got just give us one week where we can get all get together we'll use my italian band since they're the band on the record they'll have it all dialed up Andy's the musical director we'll plug and play i'm telling you it'll be great we're going to get in station wagons and drive around italy and we'll play a couple of shows so we ended up playing turin milan and rome fired it off just to give it a look and by the nature of the songs on that record um you know again the record wasn't even out yet people had heard a couple of the singles uh the video singles and stuff but you know so you're kind of going oh geez you know we're going to play new material these guys haven't heard plus some covers but, you know, it's the kind of record that the songs are, are, in my opinion, I think very listenable, very hooky, that if you've never heard them, you're going to like them. Like, you're going to track with it. You're going to kind of get... And then that's exactly what happened. And I remember the first show when I saw the guy with the Lamb of God shirt, you know, by the end of the night, he's going, please do not let this be a project. Let it be your new band. I love it so much. And I'm like, okay, wow. if we won the Lamb of God guy over. Yeah. We're good here, you know? so. so that was our tour so far you know jeff comes home now he gets off in a trans-siberian world here in trans-siberian orchestra so he's got stuff going on so that's one of the things with this is just finding these windows where you know you can go do stuff with them yeah great
1: and the lucid tell me about that oh yes
2: so the lucid is just the quirkiest funnest story um awesome Again, probably around the time of No Cover, maybe it was right after. <laughs> well, but yeah, right around the same time. So, Drew Fortier, um, who had been in Bang Tango for, I'm um, oh, sorry, um, who had been in Bang Tango, you know, did a documentary for him, found mm-hmm. out how fucked up the band was, and then joined the band. Right. So, I always tease him. It's like, geez, good move, dude. Yeah. But he's a wonderful guy, sweetheart of a man, has become a dear friend to me. And, and unbeknownst to me, a fantastic guitar player. He said, Hey man, again, it's COVID it's 2020. We're all sitting around, not doing anything. And my, my chops were up really good. Uh, I was, you know, again, we're working on no cover. He says, you want to play on a, on a song. Me and Mike Heller, who was in fear factor, is in fear factor, I guess also is in Raven.
1: I just saw him um, with Raven just saw him with Raven a week ago.
2: Yeah, so you know, right? Oh. Yep, they're yeah. doing a doing a run right now. Mm-hmm. Great drummer, great producer. And so I sent the track over and um and it was it was the song that became Hair, uh, which is one of the singles on the on the LP that we did. And I just so I I kind of demoed bass up to he says, I wanna play a morning again, kinda like I did, but Jeff's got so he sent me like 13 tracks, you know. So I said, "Look, why don't I get over to California to Mike's place? So let's sit down in the room, play bass, because I realized this—this this was this needed to be an in the room kind of thing." So Vinny, um, Drew hits Vin. We're kind of going, "God, who's going to sing on it?" So Drew, just the lovable little character that he is, he—he he just by chance, he goes, Man, "What about Vinny from Sponge?" They like kind of a, who—who who in my ultimate like, sky is the limit. Ultimate choice to sing Vinnie from Sponge. So he texts him on I don't know, Facebook or something. Hey, man, got his band. There's who's in it. Would you want to be part of it? And uh, as Vinnie tells the story, he goes, I see the message. And I'm just getting ready to respond, I guess. And, and then Drew goes, oh, never mind. You probably wouldn't be interested. Like, kind of like thinks twice, like second guesses himself. Like, oh, my God, what did I do? I just fucking asked Vinny to be in my band. And so, and so Vinny says, he goes, well, fuck, now you got my curiosity. What is this? It's like, you know, it's like in sales, you do the takeaway. Nah, you yeah. can't have it. Wait, 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 wait. Now I want it, you know? Yeah. So uh, Vinny's a, I don't know if you know him, but he is a, fucking rock and roll guy man he is just so freaking cool man that guy just oozes cool and so he flew out to california you know sight unseen from detroit you know so the four of us are hanging drew's there the four of us are hanging out and i'm playing bass i played bass under the 10 songs in like two days it was, it was a lot of work um because we we're sitting there writing parts and, and mike was a great producer It was fun to be produced by him and and it was just so cool and and th- there it was and it was we did photos you know how it is you're in the room let's get the photos let's get some video let's get all the content while we're here and then everybody goes home and and that's how it started and, and honestly the record was done uh A, uh, who's uh, just kind of south of hamburg germany he mixed it for us and um and we was just kind of sitting in the can i mean again i kind of thought you know, it was, we, now it's 2021. So we kind of set our sights. to go, how about October, 2021? You know, time I thought I'd be doing a Megadeth tour. <clears throat> um, and whereas that all goes away. But so we're sitting there going, well, may as well keep the release date going. Um, things were kind of starting to open up in the world. And, and in a lot of ways, it was sort of my, well, for sure it was my first post Megadeth presentation. and um, And I think because stylistically it wasn't thrash metal. It wasn't trying to, you know, sort of be Megadeth part two or any of that kind of stuff. It was so fresh and just such a cool. collab. What is a Bang Tango Fear Factory Megadeth Sponge guys? What does that sound like? Exactly. And this, it was just so new and just just this breath of fresh air that man. The, the press celebrated it. They loved it. Obviously, they were happy to hear me doing something new so quickly. Um, and in a lot of ways, really kind of reset my life and my career, you know, and and I think by doing it as something so different than what I've been doing in Megadeth, you know, it it's sort of just the downbeat is, is, hey, David Ellison's, you know, kind of the rebirth. You know, he's, he's his own guy now. He can do whatever he wants. He can go wherever he wants. He can work with whoever he wants. And that's why, again, between this and Kings of Thrash and all these things, it's kind of like you know, go back and play music because you enjoy doing it with your friends who you like and just get back to that whole ideal of what we thought being in a band was like. I actually get to do that now. (laughs) I have been almost 58 i actually get to like be the guy that i always thought being in a band at age 12 was going to be now i'm actually finally doing how
0: how would you describe it uh because i mean you you nailed it just a minute ago you got a fear factory a Megadeth, a sponge and a bang tango what does that add up to
2: (laughs) well i guess i mean look if you had to do a genre i mean it's probably what alt metal i don't know you know and i say only alt because it has clean jangly guitars at times or you know vinnie You know, Sponge is just one of these cool bands, you know, they've always been in the mix. Everybody, I mean, Howard Stern loves Sponge. Like when he had the Goo Goo Dolls on his show, they played the Sponge song, right? They played Cloud, you know? So, uh, um, you know, everybody, you know, they're like, Sponge is kind of like cheap trick. Like everybody loves Sponge, you know, Uh, whether you're a chick, a rocker dude, whatever, it's a metal guy. Um, so they just kind of fall in this, this cool, cool area, you know? So, yeah. Um yeah, and we actually have an EP that we worked on earlier this year. Uh, Drew, unfortunately, he, he ended up having a, a cancer scare, which fortunately turned out to be easily resolved, done. He's clean, bow, healthy, he's good. So we had some dates in May that we had to push, we had to let go of. But uh, right before that, we'd been working hard behind the scenes. We've been shooting videos that we put out. And we were actually cut a, a new EP that we'll put out probably before the end of the year. We'll start putting some tracks out from that.
0: Nice well, nice well uh
1: on that note hey thanks for hanging with us man
2: yeah man i totally totally yeah, appreciate it uh, i appreciate you reaching out and, and dave it's great to to chat and, you know, likewise likewise See your fucked up killing is my business record
0: <laughs> addison's 85 it's not going anywhere man like the take-
2: best prop yet it's on i'll <laughs> <laughs> take a fucked up
1: killing is my business record any day. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. Come one, come all prestige
2: yeah.
0: or fuck. I'm, I'm just honored that I got to share that story with the man himself. So, uh, yeah, great, thanks, for, thanks for joining us, Dave. I know, I know well, you're, uh, you, you've got a busy day ahead of you and we don't want to keep you any longer. You've been gracious enough to give us an hour plus. So thank you so much. Problem. Uh, continued success with everything you do. Uh, uh, dude you're a founding father of the big four so that rules thank you very much for all your music with megadeth and everything else you continue to do we'll look out for Dieth and ellison soto and uh, the lucid and anything else you may uh, put out here in the future thank you yeah man thank you very much on behalf of my co-host jason mcmaster i'm metal dave glessner along with our very special guest today david ellison on the talk louder podcast
2: Awesome, man. Good to see you, dude. See ya, Bye. Thanks, Thanks, John. John. See you later.
1: Well, I just had to do that for a moment because (laughs) that was
2: a good, that was good
1: seeing JB and then got, got Dave coming in. I'm like, what? I'm going to, I'm going (laughs) to be the wizard of Oz. (laughs) I'm going to be the guy behind the curtain for a second and throw these guys in the room just real quick.